Welcome to the third episode in the first season of Justice Center Weekly, the video cast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. This week I have with me lawyer James Manson, who is taking the lead on the Linda Stone case. Linda Stone is a trustee with the Durham District School Board in Ontario who has been prevented from fulfilling her duties because other members of the board disagree with her opinions. That's my take on it. But I better turn this over to James, who can straighten me out, lest I stray from the substance. James, maybe lay it out for us, please. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I think you're. I think you've got it pretty straight, uh, to be honest. Um, this is a case where you have an elected representative, school board trustee, um, who, by the way, I understand was elected with the most votes of any of the candidates in the Oshawa in the Durham district uh, uh, school board elections. So she's a popular candidate. She's a popular trustee, my understanding. And anyway, um, she was bringing some concerns uh, to the board's attention. Now, one of the issues in this case will be, you know, what is the duty of a trustee? What is a trustee supposed to do when they go to a, to a school board meeting? And of course, our contention will be that, that one of those duties is naturally to raise concerns and to raise questions and to bring those questions in a respectful and sincere and thoughtful and constructive way to the board. That is the whole point of having a representative democracy. So um, in this particular case, uh, Linda did do just that. There were some uh, concerns about some various policies that we can, we can talk about, Kevin. But, but basically, uh, she uh, was, um, I think it's not, it's, not, um, it's not unfair to say that she was cancelled. They tried to cancel her with respect to um, what she said, what her questions were. And uh, that is really the basis of this, of this lawsuit. Uh, was the board right in, 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 in taking the steps that it did? to um to punish her for bringing forward these concerns these questions that's it in a nutshell so i think you're quite right in how you describe the case right it's woke culture though i think that's one of the things that sort of makes it of interest to a lot of a lot of people because this has been going on continent-wide i mean we don't have to get into all those specific things that she said you can read that in our postings online i think you go through them in the filing that you made um but you can you can just quickly tell us you know maybe as you describe some of the remedies that you sought you'll be able to to tell us what uh, you know what was said that kind of thing right so so um, just a quick word on on the the woke culture uh, angle that you alluded to just now Kevin um, I understand that there's many many viewers out there who who have a real serious problem with the woke culture with the woke ideology. Um, I don't see this case as necessarily centering around the woke ideology. Definitely, it's part of it, right? I mean, okay. what I can talk to you about what 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 Trustee Stone said and how she tweeted and what all that. But really, I think what is more important than a political ideology or a political question with respect to how should we, you know, handle uh, various issues in school? Naturally, I'm thinking of the transgender issue. 
which is apparently a big deal right now in school boards, particularly with respect to washrooms and things like that, and, and whether or not it's okay to um, keep this stuff from parents, right? Whether, whether mm. someone's child is, 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 is uh, identifying as a different gender and, and, and whether that's appropriate to, to hide from, from the parents. All of those are important issues. Uh, but those are maybe more political issues. And, and when a lawyer like me gets involved, we certainly need to be able to parse out the political stuff from the legal stuff and the constitutional stuff. And so when, when I conceive of this case, Kevin, I, uh, my thoughts immediately go to the Charter of Rights and the Constitution. Okay. Um, the woke agenda that some people say is is taking over the school boards and and uh, and and all of that that's a valid fight and a valid question that may be a better question to be had at the ballot box as opposed to in court now I think where this gets tricky right is when you have this intersection between all of that the political questions about what do we do with transgender uh, students? What do we do with school facilities and, and, and programs to, to, uh, to uh, deal with all those things? And freedom of expression. There's the intersection between the policy and somebody's constitutional rights to express themselves. You know, the Supreme Court of Canada, Kevin, has said that free to, the free exchange of ideas, right, is the lifeblood of a democracy. Well, that I agree with, right? And I don't think anybody could seriously disagree with that in a country like ours. So, so to me, this case where you've got a school board that is essentially, at least in my opinion anyway, uh, punishing an elected representative for doing her job, that to me is really what this case is about. We cannot, um, we cannot accept as a, as a democratic society, we cannot accept where the very body that a person is a part of here in, the, in this case, a school board has the ability to silence the representatives on the board. It would be like in parliament telling the minority Party. Let's say that, that all of a sudden the Speaker of the House tells the minority uh, NDP caucus that they can't talk anymore, that they don't have the right to say anything because, you know, the Liberal Party or the Conservative Party, whoever party's in power, doesn't agree with what they have to say, doesn't think that that's right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not right. right? We, I mean, that is obviously not right. So, so that is how I conceive the case, Kevin. I don't conceive the case so much as a woke case, although definitely wokeism and woke ideology is balled up in it, definitely. But I, I have much more um, concern about the freedom of expression angle and by extension, the rule of law, right, Kevin? I mean, we bandy that, that term around a lot, the rule of law. And I, I just want to make sure that everybody knows what that means, right? What that means is that we are a country governed by laws and that everybody is subject to those laws from the prime minister and on down to the school board trustees, right? Which includes, of course, the board itself in this case. And the rule of law includes principles like elected representatives have the right to say what they need to say. And uh, 
And so in my view, when you start to mess around with these very fundamental concepts, these very, very delicate and fragile, but yet critically important concepts that we have frankly been relying on for the last 200 years, you know, to make our, to make our country go, to make our country be the country that it is. Um, when these concepts start to get eroded, then that's very dangerous. And we could end up in a place that is very, very much less free and less democratic than we thought overnight. Right. Now, I understand by the filing that th you're looking for a judicial review. Right. And uh, you, maybe you could just quickly tell us about that particular process and what kind of remedies you're going to seek going this route. That's right. So, so Kevin, a judicial review is kind of like an appeal. Uh, it's not quite an appeal, but the distinctions between an appeal and a judicial review are fairly dry and, and esoteric uh, in some ways. Um, and so it's, it's, it's basically like an appeal. What we're going to be doing is asking the uh, Superior Court here in, um, in Ontario. Uh, now, I don't need, want to get too uh, caught up in the details, but there's also uh, another type of court here called the Divisional Court. doesn't really matter for the viewers. We're going to be asking the court in this case to, um, to basically take a look, take a good look at, at the board's decision in this case to, you know, punish uh, Trustee Stone and to basically uh, set that order aside. So what happened, of course, with Trustee Stone, just to sort of recap, uh, she had um, uh, a few instances where she, where, where, where she was, was commenting on some draft policies that were under consideration by the, by the school board. And a lot of them were centering around um, the human rights um, policy. Um, the human rights policy in the Durham Region School Board is quite long and quite involved. And there's also a lot of kind of satellite documents that go with it. So anyway, one of the documents uh, was, was referring to the concept of white supremacy. Now, I don't want to get involved with that right now with respect to all of the meanings that that can conjure up to people on both sides uh, of that debate. Uh, however, the point is that uh, Linda um, and some people that, that Linda was hearing from um, had a problem with that. They had a problem with the, with the inclusion or the insertion of the words white supremacy into this document. And Linda's Linda's comment was, you know, can we take this out? Does this have to be in here? Uh, some people that I've spoken to think that it's inflammatory, divisive, uh, and it has the effect of separating, you know, white people from all other uh, people, and that that's not that's not helpful in in uh, in uh, in her view. And she wondered if there was a way of maybe changing the language or somehow somehow dealing with this. Um, there were other similar comments, and there were other similar um, uh, tweets that she put out, you know, with respect, again, generally talking about uh, the gender issue, the woke issues. Uh, for example, I think one of the tweets that she put out was something to do with, with the use of pronouns and, 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 and what is an acceptable uh, range of pronouns for a teacher to have to memorize 
if in fact every student in the class goes by a different pronoun and you get a different uh, and if you get something wrong is that is that offensive to the student and will that lead to a disciplinary action on behalf of the teacher and you know comments like this that really i know they are fairly detail oriented these questions but in fact they are an extension of um what these types of policies lead to so so ultimately for types of comments like this the board um uh what the board so basically what happens is kevin the board follows a procedure to uh, to investigate so what happened was there were a couple of trustees who filed a complaint back against linda other trustees who uh who believed that linda's comments and her questions were deeply offensive and um, they were, you know, contrary to, to the mandate of the board to establish safe, safe spaces for people of all gender expressions, gender identities, and all such. Um, so what happens is there is a, there is a, uh, there is a, a person called the integrity commissioner, okay? I don't think that that has to be used in each case. I think that the school boards are able to choose whether they want to employ one or not. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's that's the case. In any event, there there is one here in uh in in the Durham Region School Board. They do have an integrity commissioner, which is a person usually a senior lawyer, uh usually maybe there's a law firm that's on retainer to take these 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 types of cases on. And they kind of act as independent investigators or special rapporteurs as oh. the uh as the uh as the uh, current federal politicians uh, are talking about these days, they don't call them that, but that's kind of the thing. They have independent authority. They go and they make inquiries and they issue a report about whether or not, in this case, trustee Stone, in fact, did violate the code of conduct of a school board trustee. So anyway, the integrity commissioner is um, usually uh, voted in or approved by the very board who in this case was the one who had the issue with trustee stone so that raises natural issues uh with respect to um impartiality which i'll be probably getting into as well when this case proceeds but in any event the um the integrity commissioner is supposed to be in, uh, you know Im impartial and is supposed to investigate the case fairly and independently and so anyway, they issue a report. In this case, the, the report did, in fact, conclude that Linda Stone, uh, Trustee Stone, did uh, violate the code of conduct. I don't think it was particularly clear on which actual provisions were, in fact, violated. That's another issue that we'll have to be dealing with. But in any event, the school board adopted the report from the commissioner and then decided on the punishment. Now, the punishment in um, the Education Act here in Ontario allows the board to do three things, one, two, or three of three things. One, they can censure, formally censure Trustee Stone. They did. Two, they can exclude her from the next upcoming board meeting, which they did. And three, they can take a decision to exclude her from all of the committee meetings and the subcommittee meetings that are part of the board's mandate. So you can imagine, Kevin, that there's lots of committees in these boards. There's a finance committee, there's going to be a governing committee, a human rights committee, uh, all kinds of committees with respect to the actual day-to-day -day functioning of the board and the school district. There's a lot of stuff that has to be done. So anyway, 
uh, as part of the punishment, the board um, was had the authority to and did um, exclude her from all committee meetings for the rest of the year until the end of this year. Now that's I think Linda said a couple of a uh, couple of a uh, couple of phone calls ago. Uh, that's like fifty. 50 different like up to 50 board meetings and committee meetings that she's been excluded from now let's just stop right there the committee meetings is where all the governing happens okay what happens mm -hmm. at the board level is the board will 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 basically like make a formal vote to formalize a final draft of a policy or something but the policies get hammered out in the committee sessions the budget negotiations take place in the committees and all the documents that people rely on, reports from this person, that person, who knows what, they all get considered at the committee level, of course, just like in parliament, just like in, in the legislatures. And so um, to exclude somebody from those meetings also means that they don't have the right to those documents. So Linda Stone cannot get access to the documents that she needs to do her job because she can't just show up at a school board meeting when all the hammering out is, 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 is over and vote yes or no on a policy that she doesn't know what went into that policy, she'd be shooting in the dark. And you can't ask an elected representative, at least in my book, you can't ask somebody to show up and vote yes or no on a policy when you don't know the details of the policy or why it says this and it doesn't say that. That's called dereliction of duty. That's abdicating your responsibility as an elected member of the community. So um, the board did all those three things, though. So, so again, back to your original question, Kevin, uh, our, our uh, application is seeking for this decision to be set aside. We're seeking to have Linda reinstated, to have her full, full panoply of privileges reinstated so that she can go to the committee meetings, and that she can, uh, you know, um, have access to all the documents, and that she can, uh, you know, um, and also we're asking the court to cancel the censure, the formal censure, because I know that a, like a formal censure doesn't really have any other effect other than to be like a formal rebuke of what Linda said. But you know, that's not right. And 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 Linda was asking questions about policies with a sincere. Uh, desire to move the debate to 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 bring a different point of view to the debate and and that's what democracy ought to be about and so we're asking the court to set that aside as well uh, and uh, and then we're asking the court also to declare that what happened was unconstitutional so we're asking the court to say that Linda's rights under section 2b of the Charter of rights were uh, were contravened, were violated, and um, and that's what we're doing. Okay, was that related to the Education Act, though? When you were talking about the violation of her rights, so that you're actually looking at the Education Act in Ontario and saying because they use the Education Act, those three things that you said they used to censor her, um, they came from the Act. They allowed her to be punished under that. So to overturn that, is that basically challenging the legislation itself? We are, I, to my, I don't want to get into strategies and tactics necessarily, okay. Kevin, but uh, the, the, this application 
itself does not seek to overturn any any law okay. uh that would be uh, a different argument which i don't think uh we're doing in this particular case not to say that maybe we ought not to consider doing that in in some appropriate case but in this particular case um what we're suggesting is that the decision itself was unreasonable so really when you're in a, into a judicial review situation you are your burden my 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 uh obligation is to demonstrate that the decision under under scrutiny here which is the board's decision um to you know to censor her and all that um was unreasonable that is the catchphrase the catchword in 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 judicial review applications um this is an area of law called administrative law this is not so much constitutional law it is a different thing it's called administrative law and basically what it is is the law surrounding all of the non-court decisions that get made in our society every day by tribunals and school boards and other committees and things like that so for example you know if uh if um for example there's a lot of talk uh, or there was a lot of talk last year about about employment insurance benefits and whether or not people who didn't want to take the covid vaccines you may recall uh were uh a, were were able to claim ei benefits or not whether they whether they ought to or not anyway there's a tribunal that deals with employment insurance issues and anyway that tribunal will make decisions and those decisions naturally affect uh canadians lives very 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 significantly and um anyway there is there is a mechanism then as we say called judicial review and administrative law to supervise those decisions and to to use the courts to sort of get in to 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 get involved in those decisions when necessary usually the tribunals are given a lot of deference a lot of respect uh but now and then the courts will decide that it's important to you know straighten something out maybe there's a couple of diverging lines of reasoning in a in a tribunal and the courts have to get involved to you know make sure everything is um is uniform again or other similar issues and one of them of course <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> one of them of course is constitutionality so that's where the constitution gets involved with administrative law if you can show that there is a very important issue that the tribunals uh in this case the school board uh weren't referring to or didn't take into account properly then that is a reason for the courts to get involved and so here again like i was mentioning a few minutes ago we're talking about the intersection between freedom of expression and and you know school board policies and so um my in my book anyway that is definitely an important issue that ought to be uh uh you know considered by the court well, one of the things that's mentioned several times in your filing uh, is the various iterations of their code of conduct. And I just wanted to zero in on that for a second, because I did see it come up in uh, not the Brzozowski case, which is a teacher, former teacher in the Waterloo School District, who is uh, having some trouble there, but in the trustee that was censored because he supported her, that was the Mike Ramsey case, that is also a 
figures or focuses on their code of conduct. So maybe you could just tell us, are you talking about, when you talk about the school board policies, are you talking about the code of conduct that you're focusing in on? Or maybe explain how it figures into this case. Right. So no, the, the code of conduct is what, uh, you know, naturally governs um, a trustee's obligations to the board and I guess to the community, of course. Um, and of course, the code of conduct will say things like, you know, you must be respectful, you must, um, you know, uh, act in a professional manner, and all these other things. Um, so the code of conduct is what they are saying, the board is saying, that uh, Trustee Stone violated. So she's saying, so they're suggesting that because Trustee Stone asked questions, because she brought a different perspective to the board with respect to these um, human rights policies that were being debated at the board level. Um, because she did those things, she therefore violated the code of conduct, that it's somehow unprofessional of her or otherwise, um, you know, um, inappropriate for her to simply raise questions. And, you know, it's true. Uh, she did send out some tweets that uh, were um, provocative. Uh, maybe that's not quite the right word. They were, they were certainly, um, uh, I think they were insightful. I think what they, what they were saying were, were, were what a lot of people uh, uh, are asking as well. So anyways, because of those tweets and because of her questions, uh, she's been held to be unprofessional or somehow violating the code of conduct. So, so that is the the school board's uh, weapon, shall we say, against Trustee Stone. Our shield, I guess, if you want to use the analogy, is the Charter of Rights, which is to say, you know, these questions and these tweets are not offensive. In, 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 in a way that would be considered hate speech. Now, just, just a little bit about that, right, Kevin? I mean, we're hearing a lot from various quarters about hate, hateful comments, hateful behavior. Um, I just want the viewers to understand that, that, that hate, hate speech, actual hate speech is extraordinarily offensive speech. It is disgusting, disgusting comments that, that, that everybody would know immediately were hateful and have no place in our democracy. I mean, what you do, Kevin, with freedom of expression, as I'm sure you may know, is that, you know, the courts have said that freedom of expression is extraordinarily broad, as you would expect in a free society. And all that happens to that very broad, very complete sphere of expression is that you start to chip away at it only if the government can justify that chip. So for example, let's take a very disgusting example. Let's talk about child pornography. All right. That's a terrible, disgusting form of expression. It is a form of expression by definition. It's gross. It's disgusting. And no, no reasonable Canadian would, would ever want to countenance that. So we would all agree that because of the harm caused to children and to society and to even adults who like to, to, do, to, to get involved in all this stuff, that that is 
an acceptable reason to limit that expression. So we then have a crime and it's called if you have if you have you know child pornography, you'll go to jail and you can't talk about it. You can't use it, you can't make it, you can't have it. That is a limitation on our freedom of expression, but it's justified. Now there's there's many other you know uh, types of uh, types of, of speech that could also be limited. One of them is, of course, very, very horrible hate speech against different races, different genders, different different types of um, sexual orientation, whatever you want to say, um, different ethnicities. Um, and uh, so we have to make sure that we understand that in order to qualify as hate speech, there's got to be some very, very, very problematic speech going on. Um, raising a question about a policy and whether the term white supremacy should be involved in the policy or not is not hate speech. It is not. Asking a question about pronouns and whether or not it's appropriate for a teacher to have to memorize all of them in a classroom is not hate speech. It's a question. Some people might not like that question. They may think that that question's mean or mean-spirited or somehow bigoted. That doesn't make it hate speech, Kevin. And that is really what we're getting at here. That's really what we're getting at is the, is the, the content and the scope of what, what does it mean these days to, be, to have hate or to, or, to, or, or to be hate speech or to in, engage in hate speech. It's not hate speech just because you don't happen to like what somebody says to you. That's not hate speech. If that's the definition of hate speech, then we are in serious trouble because then nobody can say anything that anybody ever disagrees with. And we're never going to get anywhere that way. Okay, great. So you're going to, this is going to be a free speech case primarily. That's what I understand. And um, do you know where it's going? Like you've made the filing now. Do you know what the next step is? Well, what we've done, Kevin, is we've asked for the court to hear this matter on an urgent basis. Uh, and, and so we've, we've made the request now. Uh, we will be in court or on a conference call at some point with uh, one of the judges to determine whether or not, in fact, this case should be treated as an urgent case or whether it should be left to, to go along the, the, the usual channels. Um, there is a way for this thing to be heard on an urgent basis. And my, my uh, argument will be that, um, you know, again, Trustee Stone's uh, duty is to her constituents. And she must have access to the meetings and to the documents in order to do her job. And so every day that she can't have access like that is, uh, is very harmful, not only to her own ability to do her job, but also to the citizens of, of Oshawa and Durham region who are asking her to do that job. And let's be clear, she clearly is bringing a different perspective to the board than all the other trustees. And so, so that perspective may in fact be ex extra important because nobody else apparently in the board level is wanting to bring that, that perspective. So she's, she's even more important that way. And thirdly, of course, it's affecting our entire system. It's affecting the entire democratic system that we've got, you know. So we've got to have it where our representatives, our elected people, unless they're removed from office, which is a whole other thing, um, have the right to show up and participate in the democratic process. 
And so we're asking the court to, to grant us an expedited hearing on that basis. I don't know what the court will say. Naturally, we will respect the court and we will do whatever the court uh, uh, directs us to do. Uh, I hope that we can get into an urgent hearing and I hope that we can get Linda some uh, relief. Uh, I think it's important. Great. Okay. Well, thanks very much, James, for being with us uh, for this important episode of Justice Center Weekly, and I hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks, Kevin. Cheers. Cheers.